0: Season 3 Chapter 7 Video 9 Moment by moment, we are traveling to the other shore. Pema Chodron Video 9 The red and orange of the maples outside gave the sheriff's desk a fiery glow, but the office was cold. Temperatures had been unseasonably warm lately, and nobody had thought to adjust the thermostats. But now... A thirty-degree morning had moved in, and the building wasn't prepared. Nathan unlocked the furnace room and got things rolling. Soon, the same would be true for the coffee pot. The heating smelled like burned hair as it grown to life. Sheriff Randall walked around to make sure everything was working properly, and it was. In the day room, he could see that the whiteboard had been updated with a new team schedule, Mabel must have come in over the weekend to make the changes. And there it was, that pang of guilt. As the sheriff, he should have been working. Despite the lectures about working less and delegating more, he didn't like being away from the team on the weekends. He was about to walk over to the dispatch building when he remembered the trail cameras up at Birdie's. He had been checking periodically over the past week, and there had been nothing new. But that was before the weekend. Nathan looked out through his window at the exhaust coming out from the vents on the roof next door. Donnie must have hit the heat over there, he thought, mildly disappointed that he wasn't needed. He returned to his desk and looked at his phone. There, floating over the trail cam app, was an indicator number. It read 48. His brow furrowed. Must have been quite a party up there. Nathan refilled his coffee while the Wi-Fi connection downloaded the images. He was looking forward to solving this case for Bert, and it wouldn't be long now. The output was a grid of photos and videos organized by date, the first row he recognized as his cruiser backing up and exiting the field of view. Three photos and one video. All the remaining squares were dark, taken at night. A quick scan of the grid should have revealed some headlights or taillights, something for the sheriff to home in on, but nothing stood out. The sheriff slumped back in his chair, thinking, This is probably going to be a whole lot of wind. Ed touched her shoulder twice before she finally stirred. He was holding a hot cup of coffee in his hand and waiting for Dr. Karen to wake and get her bearings. She had spent the night in one of the guest rooms upstairs. Ed had dragged a wing-back chair down from the attic for her to sit in, so she could watch the window. "'Oh, I didn't mean to fall asleep. What time is it?' she asked, while rubbing her neck. "'It's 6.30. Unless your schedule has changed, you have rounds at Mountain View this morning. I didn't want you to be late.' "'Thank you, Ed. You're right. I need to get going.' Ed followed her downstairs where eye contact was quick and the conversation was kept to a minimum as they both fumbled with the awkwardness of daylight and Amelia's continued disappointment in herself. Dr. Karen placed her coffee mug in the sink and slid her backpack off the island and onto her shoulder. So, should I go out the way I came in? Is that what you'd do? She felt stupid for asking, and yet... With her fears about the night freshly validated simple tasks were feeling like landmines how do you open a closet door turn a corner sit on a park bench enter a dark room or even walk to your car how do you live in a world like this and was putting on his coat the one with the loaded pockets i would say that for now it's safe to move around during the day and yes going out through the garage We'll get you right to your car. I'll walk you out. Come with me, Ed. Don't stay here in this situation alone, Amelia blurted out. I'll see my patients, and then we can call Nathan and meet at my house. Please come with me. Ed was taken aback by the ridiculousness of what she was saying. Here is where they would be safest. Here is where they had the tools needed to fight back. Here is where Samantha had chosen to show herself. Can't. Remember, I need to keep the fire going, is all he decided to say. That's not Samantha, Ed. Amelia wasn't sure if it were true or not, but she said it anyway. Ed folded his arms tightly against his chest and held himself together. Dr. Karen, in all the years that you've known me, have I ever... Been prone to fantastical thinking? She shook her head. No. Ed had always been unflappable, grounded, protective, yes, but never hysterical. But that was before. He continued, I'm not staying here because Samantha wants to be home for the holidays. I'm here doing all of this because she's one of them now, and more people are going to die. One of them, Amelia repeated slowly. Plural. That's right. Ed let that settle in for a moment. She's a... There. Well, let's understand this. Abram White is not a one-off. If you see him for what he is, then you know he can't be alone because he couldn't have made himself. And here's some more facts for you to get your brain around. Abram White is in a cage at the bottom of a lake and he's not dead. Amelia needed to sit down, but there wasn't a chair to be found on the first floor. Ed's place wasn't a home anymore. It was a fortress. She rubbed her forehead and looked past Ed, out through the windows. Clyde White had described emptying buckets of blood and vomit from the barn when Abram had first returned home. She was picturing the bite marks on Daisy Terrio's wrist and Miss Linda's remains, and that poor woman at the farm. Buckets of blood. I'm trying to process all of this. I really am. It's just, I don't see how this can be. I mean, I'm a psychiatrist, someone who has spent her life helping people with severe behavioral disorders, and that's the first thing that comes to mind here, that we're crazy, delusional. Isn't that the most logical explanation? Amelia slapped her hand down on the tiny section of free counter space. You expect me to just toss logic out the window and accept all of this as fact? Do you know what happens in a world without logical thinking, Ed? This happens. Look at me. I can't even walk to my own car anymore, for God's sakes. This is like some kind of a nightmare. A nightmare I can't wake up from. And I don't know what to do. She was shouting now. At Ed, at the inevitable coming of night, and at her own fear, shouting at fear always pushed it back, until now. Ed did not try to comfort her, did not try to stop the waves of panic that were dragging her under. Instead, he looked down at his feet. In that moment it occurred to him that, if she were going to drown, he needed to know now. After a summer of exploring the rough and curly edges of his own sanity, he had managed to stay afloat. You either do or you don't, he was thinking, as he waited to see what would happen next. Dr. Karen's composure bounced around the kitchen a few more times while she stared out the window. Ed had been dealing with all of this by himself, and now he needed her. She was being selfish. Ed... I'm sorry. You're Samantha. You don't deserve any of this. I'm so sorry. She wanted Ed to look at her, but he wouldn't. Don't be sorry, he finally responded. Samantha stopped being mine a long time ago. These parasites are here to do bad things, but I'm not going to let that happen only you can determine if you're up for this if you're in or not he lifted his head and looked straight at her in uh, of course i'm i'm in y- you need me for what i can't imagine but yes i'm in for whatever and wherever this takes us we made a pact remember that was a pact with the old farmer but he reneged on his commitments all of them, and then he took the fast train out of here. We owe that man nothing, nothing. Any commitments we make going forward will be to goodness, to humanity, what's left of it. I have nothing to lose, nothing to live for, except that. We fight until we can't. That's what I'm committing to. Ed reached out his left hand. Amelia grabbed it and held on. Ed... I'm in. She, too, was overlooking the obvious, believing that she had nothing to live for, that she was alone. There, in Ed's kitchen-turned-triage center, amidst the bullets, security cameras, and ready-made meals, near a fire that must always burn, and an enormous steel safe room filled with weapons and supplies, they stood and held hands, both of them mistaking fear for loneliness. Ed's grip tightened as he remembered something important he needed to ask her. I need you to get more of the sedative, as much as possible. Can you do that today? The doctor nodded affirmatively. I can do that. Good. Then pack a bag, meet back here, and remember, it gets dark early. Frame after frame of blur, followed by strange shapes, The photos delivered nothing discernible, and it was maddening. The videos were equally useless, with garbled audio and swirls of white on gray. On and on it went, image numbers 16, 17, and 18, all the same. Why aren't I at least seeing headlights? The sheriff was vexed. Nobody gets way out there on foot. Sheriff Randall's expectations were low as he played Video 7. Again, he could hear muffled sounds. He felt sure he had placed the cameras where branches would not cause a false trigger. So, what was all of this? Then, out of the murky mess, came a woman's voice, screaming. Nathan bolted upright in his chair, nearly dropping his phone onto the floor. It had to be on or very near Bert's gate because camera two had captured it. He played it again. There could be no doubt, a young woman, a girl, and she was pleading, No! Please! Nathan heard her cry out three distinct times, but still the video was foggy. He was no longer concerned with trespassing. He was listening to an attack. He skipped over the mush of photos 19, 20, and 21, and opened video 8, where he could make out different voices, laughing and taunting, and then howling. Indeed, he heard boys howling and jeering, their voices cracking with the youthful rush of testosterone. Hastily, he worked his way back through the images, all of them. Finally, It was image 27 on camera 2 that gave him something specific. A face, shamelessly staring straight into the camera. Image 28 showed the same thing. Next, he opened video 9, and then... I see you, Sheriff Randall. Nathan sat in stunned silence. He knew exactly who this was. Robert James Crawley, deranged and at large for months while the entire state of Maine was on alert. The state police had traced his movements up from the psychiatric hospital in Westbrook, determining that he had probably hitched a ride north in the back of a UPS truck. But why here? Dr. Karen had postulated that there may have been some connection to the region from Mr. Crawley's childhood, although there were no records to prove it. What was known was the cause of death. He had been outsmarted by an old woman whose only weapon was patience. And now, Robbie's face was on the sheriff's trail camera. How is this possible, Nathan thought. The sheriff had seen the body with his own eyes. He had touched the decedent's neck for a pulse. Nathan's scalp tingled. There was one more video clip to watch. Video 10. He placed the phone flat down on his desk and hovered over the screen. The camera's lens could not focus fast enough and produced more of the same soup. A blinding light flashed directly into the camera. Nathan blinked back reflexively and heard her voice again, the young female, whimpering. Mama, I want to go home. I want to go home. Nathan shot straight up, slamming his chair into the wall behind him. "'Bob, you in yet?' Nathan hollered out in the direction of the day room. "'What's up, Sheriff?' Deputy Grassley appeared in the office doorway. "'I'm going for a ride, and you're my backup.' The two cruisers were traveling north along the gravel road, past Faye's, spraying the turnoff to her place with dust and gravel as they flew by going to check on Bert's trail cameras, was all that Sheriff Randall had shared with his deputy. Over the years, Bob had learned to trust Nathan and keep his questions to himself. His job was to keep his guard up and his eyes peeled. He would know more when he needed to know more. But it didn't stop him from wondering. Why was backup needed for a camera check? And why were they rushing to the scene? They got to Bert's access road soon enough, and Bob stood by as Nathan moved carefully under the cameras. "I could take those down for you, Sheriff," Bob offered. "Nope, we leave 'em," Sheriff Randall said back sharply. Nathan was looking for signs of a struggle, but nothing had been disturbed; no leaves pushed aside, no tracks in the mud, not a blade of grass was out of place. Bert's gate had not been moved. Nobody had been here, even the ATVers were taking a break. He moved in front of the cameras and watched them blink red. He was inches away from camera two now, testing its ability to focus at close range. Those are the new cameras, right? Bob called out, scanning the woods from his position by the cruisers. But Nathan was preoccupied with his phone, waiting for the test images to download. Finally, he called out. Hey, Bob, know of any camps in the area? Anybody live close by? The old Bible camp is about a mile up as the crow flies. Been closed for decades, of course. And there's that homestead another five miles up, give or take. Unless something's changed, a woman lives there alone. after that, we're in God's country for a while until we hit the border. A woman, Nathan looked up. Take me there. Video 9, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories and visit my website at bridgetemmons.com. Thanks for listening.